Welcome to our listeners to the eighth episode of Voltec Tech Talks. My name is John Hewson and I'm sitting here with Shabazz Hashmi this week. We're going to be discussing data privacy and anti-encryption law. How are you doing today, Shabazz? Good, thank you, John. It's great to see you today. Good to see you too, Shabazz. So, in order to kick off this discussion, maybe we can just discuss a contemporary case of this BBC article subtitled Australian police can now order tech firms to access the encrypted messages of suspects. And the government says that the laws are world first are a necessity for handling combat terrorism and crime. And critics have listed concerns regarding that the laws could undermine the overall security and privacy of users. And cybersecurity experts have warned that the laws could create a global weak point for companies like Google and Apple. So I think in the discussions we're going to have during this podcast, might keep linking back to this common theme of, I guess, politicians and large tech firms being at odds with one another and the philosophy of encryption and privacy as a contemporary issue. Definitely. I think it's very interesting to see this contention between what the government wants and what the tech firms want. And it really makes you think about whether it's what the tech firms actually want or what they think the people want. So by extension, it's almost like what the government wants and what the people want are very different. Absolutely. I can't quote the numbers right now. We'll get the research up in a bit, but there is a significant divide, I think, in the degree to which people agree with the increased levels of surveillance because we hear the talking point a lot that if you have nothing to hide then you should have nothing to worry about with regards to increasing surveillance on citizens. And a lot of people agree with that sentiment, but I think the majority of the remainder who do not agree might have considered that in increasing this surveillance, then it's a slippery slope, right? Somewhat of a Pandora's box. Yeah, you're right. It's this um, security versus privacy debate, right? So I tell you, if I can surveil you, I get to make sure that our country is going to be 100% safe for the following future, right? But then you've got people who think, great, uh, that's awesome, but how do I control um, what actually gets seen and at what level you actually, will you actually start getting my data and who are the people who are actually going to be looking at our data, you know? Uh, it is definitely something a bit grey, and the deeper you go into it, the more people get a bit worried, you know? Yeah, and on that initial sort of, I guess, promise that you you posed from the perspective of, say, the government, wherein they'll be able to stop all malevolent messaging occurring, and they'll be able to monitor all potential, just say, terrorism over the over WhatsApp, the WhatsApp network, but in reality... Is that not also just a falsehood? Because if they are banned from using these networks and the official companies have basically submitted to the demands slash requests of law enforcement agencies and have what we will discuss later, like backdoors built in and security weaknesses, they'll probably just turn to alternative means of communication, right? Make a decentralized end-to-end encrypted network perhaps no but the thing is that i feel like even with these backdoors governments require like i we're going to get to this later on but some governments actually require some backdoor even in an encrypted end-to-end system they're like 
we don't care if the technology doesn't support it right now, but we want you to add one regardless. And in doing so, they have to completely re-architect the way it works, in effect, removing the security. And like, it's interesting because you say that you could have a backdoor in there and your government could look into it. But the one, I guess, perspective to this is if the government has a backdoor, then even adding a backdoor into that software, you can have malicious actors using that backdoor as well. What are the guarantees that it's just the government that's exploiting it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're much more tech savvy than myself, but I was trying to teach myself the different ways in which these law enforcement agencies are, like, like they could enact such anti-encryption law. And so what I found, there are two ways to effectively achieve that, which is key escrow, which is seemingly not on the table, wherein a copy of your encryption key is saved with a third-party database. Yeah, that defeats the purpose of encryption totally. It's like, yes, because um, the whole idea with encryption is you have someone called Alice and you have someone called Bob. And Alice uh, sends a key to Bob and Bob sends a key to Alice and they can only open each other's things. So each time you send a message, you put your message in a box with which Alice has sent you, right? And only Alice's key can open it. So you put your message in a box, you close it and you send it to Alice. Now, if we start giving these keys out willy nilly, what was, what's the point of the locked box in the first place, right? Yeah. And I guess in that case, it would also end up centralizing all the keys, wouldn't it? So there'd be one point of vulnerability. And a major point of vulnerability, going back to my point, as if we do create a cryptographic backdoor within systems, what, like, what's stopping a malicious actor getting access to that table of keys and having everyone's data at their disposal? You know? No, no due diligence, nothing. That's pretty relevant, I guess, to the case of um, Apple versus the FBI. I've got a quote here from Apple CEO Tim Cook stating that the United States government has demanded that Apple take a, an unprecedented step which threatens the security of our customers. We oppose this order, which has implications far beyond the legal case at hand. This moment calls for public discussion and we want our customers and people around the country to understand what is at stake here. So it's bringing light to the fact or idea that building in these encryption backdoors does set the precedent that in the future, for any given case of law enforcement requesting you know the execution of such a backdoor it compromises people's effective privacy overall doesn't it not yeah it definitely does and apple's constantly be fi been fighting with governments about this i mean you have that one case that you're citing that was actually quite a famous one right in america i think it was after a terror attack or like we can save lives if we can open this phone and tim cook famously said well tough luck um the moment we give it to you for this it can be exploited all around you know and like you have more um you have more examples of this like i don't know have you heard about that australian law enforcement um uh article that came out recently i think it was like it, it was a bill that was passed uh turnbill was talking about it in 2017 where they said that the uh, basically Malcolm Turnbull, the current the prime minister of Australia at the time, he had this very famous quote saying, "The only he, this was referring to encryption. The only laws in Australia that apply are Australian laws, not encryption laws." And the mathematicians were like, "No, you it just doesn't mathematically work out." 
that the Australian government can break encryption just by stating that it's the law of the land, you know? It was actually preposterous. Um, so then they went and took a different approach. So Australia um, released something called the Access and Assistance Bill. So this actually sent havoc in like the entire tech community. Um, the bill basically compels tech companies under operating in the country, like Apple, for instance, to provide quote unquote assistance to law enforcement and intelligence agencies in accessing electronic data. So that's basically saying, hey, we're in a candy store. Apple, we want that, 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 and that, please. And you just go, whoa, what did you just pass? And they're not even paying for the candy. Exactly, exactly. It's insane. So a lot of critics are saying, I think, according to this TechCrunch article, that the bill, uh, that there are massive critics here, um, where it says that broad authorities would undermine cybersecurity and human rights. Uh, now, Apple has this slogan, which this directly undermines. They say that the humans have uh, a right to privacy. They say that they consider privacy as a human right, correct? And um, in a seven-page letter to the Australian Parliament, Apple said that it would be wrong to weaken security for millions of law-abiding citizens. Um, for Just for these select few that pose a threat. So I don't actually... I tried to follow the story further, what actually happened there in this contention, but nothing was ever reported on afterwards. The Australian government went silent and Apple kind of went silent. Oh, that's bizarre. So, yeah. really is. There's no real resolution there. Yeah. We see a... I think I'm starting to see a little trend um, composing of basically... There's an intelligence agency, right, which is an alliance called Five Eyes. Have you heard of that? It's basically Australia, Canada, New Zealand, UK, and the US sharing intelligence. And yeah, um, the three ones that are coming to mind that have been making headlines over the last few years regarding data privacy and surveillance laws are Australia, UK, and the US. I cannot quote the case. It was in the last decade, but the UK was trying to pass a similar bill to the one that we were talking about. And the EU shot it down as a violation of human rights. And this year um, in the US, I forget the senator's names, but basically um, there is an Encrypted Data Act of 2020, Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act of 2020, sorry. I believe it's been passed, but oh no, it's not enacted yet. But what would it mean if it were enacted? Basically that Facebook would not be allowed to respond that they lack the ability to decrypt WhatsApp messages and no longer will Apple be allowed to say they don't have the ability to unlock an iPhone. And so they basically took the approach of saying, well, if you can't do it, then we'll find someone that can and taking a real hardball approach, right? Yeah, that's insane. Um, going back to the five eyes, it's very interesting. It was um, a, a part of the leaks from this guy called Edward Snowden. Have you heard of this guy? Yeah, he's a very, very prominent person in this field. So Edward Snowden described the five eyes as a supranational, supra, supranational intelligence organization that does not answer to the known laws of its own countries. And these five countries that you mentioned were in an alliance. If you think about it, all you need is one country to be able to compel these companies to be able to break their encryption laws. 
or break their encryption and then everyone's got access right because you've got this knowledge transfer between these agencies these countries so let's say australia cracked getting it done in america would be nice but does it actually matter that much maybe not it's it's very fascinating it's very fascinating just doing some more research on this organization actually which one um five eyes sorry its existence was not known to the prime minister of australia until 1973 but apparently it was around since the 40s so it's quite secretive indeed yeah like it's insane to think that there are organizations within countries where even the prime minister isn't involved i'm pretty sure he probably just got a really quick debrief yeah we've been spying on you guys all along but no worries it's fine it's fine no biggie yeah <laughs> no biggie <laughs> <laughs> Um, going on from that lawful access to encrypted data act of 2020. So to quote Rihanna Pfefferkorn, so, so an associate director of surveillance and cybersecurity at Stanford Law School's Center for Internet and Society, quote, the bill is an actual overt, make no mistake, crystal clear ban on providers from offering end-to-end -end encryption in online services from offering encrypted devices that cannot be unlocked for law enforcement and indeed from offering any encryption that does not build in a means of decrypting data for law enforcement. Is this this data act that you were talking about? Yes, In it America? Is. It's hilarious because do you know what Facebook vowed to do? <laughs> What's that? Uh, Facebook um, made a promise um, that by um, a certain year, let me just look this up. I think it was 2030. No, I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, but Facebook actually made a commitment to end-to-end -end encryption, despite the government's concerns, which is hilarious. So while you've got governments that's saying we're going to make it illegal to do this, this is an article in um, an IET site, but it's been widely an engineering and technology magazine. Uh, but it's been widely cited elsewhere as well. Uh, so in November 2019, Facebook made that promise that we're going to have end-to-end -end encryption in Messenger. They said there is a massive, I guess, issue with how they've currently coded it, and it requires a significant rework of the entire infrastructure of the application. But they promised that they'll get it done eventually, which is hilarious because you're saying that this law says that it will be illegal to do so. Well, I guess slight kudos <laughs> to Facebook there. Do, do you think that points to, I guess, an attitude that the big tech firms have that basically there is no future for them if they do give in and that people flock away from them? I don't think so. Like, think about this, um, John, right? Let's say we have five to ten competitors in the instant messaging game and none of them have the ability to encrypt your data. Who would you choose? Any of them, right? I wouldn't care. You wouldn't care. And let's say, oh, there's a way for you to get past this entire encryption thing. Let's send letters to ourselves again. Would you? Like, like be honest with yourself. You, you think that you're going to flock off to something else, but like, what do you go to? There's nothing. Pigeons? Owls? <laughs> but surely there can always be some form of end-to-end -end encrypted thing, even if it, it does become illegal well yeah you you might have a gray market for encryption but that kind of already exists through the tor network right do you think everyone's just going to get on tor i mean 
I don't know. I think that people care about their privacy until it's gone. But then when you lose your privacy, it's not like you feel it, right? With these kinds of things, it's not like it's tangible. You can't see the seven intelligence agency agents listening in on your whatsapps if that were to happen i'm not saying it's happening but what i'm saying is you wouldn't actually feel it you know it would just be business as usual you'll see a headline you'll freak out and after a week you'll be back to texting whoever the heck you want anything yeah on that i think it might be valuable to consider the social ramifications and regular human interaction in a society wherein we suddenly know that everything is surveilled and there is no genuine privacy on the internet anymore. Apparently, well, I mean, it's, it's intuitive that that would result in people self-censoring. If you know that everything that you put on the internet is viewable for eternity, then you would be much more wary of what you put up there. Hence doing the job. Would you though? I, I think so. I don't know. I was watching this video, I can't exactly remember the source, um, but they were, they were going around surveying um, people saying, if I told you that the government could see whatever you message right now, would you care? And a lot of the people were like, not really, no. Um, it's weird, let me try find it. This was back in the days of when um, Edward Snowden's leaks came out. Uh, and basically he was saying that the government can kind of see anything you're doing. And then the day just went on and a few months afterwards, like, of course, he was the talk of the town straight away. But give it a few weeks, a few months, some time had passed. And out of nowhere, people go interviewing people. Do you know Edward Snowden? And I think the majority did not. And when they were told, they really didn't really seem to care. It's actually kind of crazy. Right, yeah. Do, do, you, do you actually recall what the Snowden leaks were, specifically? Wasn't it basically just the extent of surveillance that the NSA was, I guess, perpetrating on citizens of the US? Like, regularly? Yeah, so he leaked this thing called PRISM. Now, uh, the US still de denies it. So, before we go anywhere with this, it's completely denied by the country. It's denied by the tech firms. But allegedly... Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, Facebook, YouTube, Skype, and Apple were all giving government emails, chat, video, voice, photos, stored data, voice over IP calls, fired, file transfers, video conferencing, notifications of target activity, such as logins, online social networking details, and special requests to be um, received through this PRISM program, which is kind of everything. Yeah, basically is everything, isn't it? Yeah, and the world really hasn't changed after this thing got leaked. This guy got taken away. He um, fled the country. He went into asylum in Russia, Putin, and took him in, you know, gave him a chance at a new life, funnily enough. Um, but even after all of that, John, people still do whatever they do. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that everyone has, in, like, national secrets that ought to be kept secret at all costs. And I think most people do acknowledge that. I don't personally feel that passionate about my privacy because I genuinely really don't have anything to hide or that is like terribly sensitive that I'd be concerned about my government being aware of. But I respect people's wishes to, I guess, maintain some degree of privacy in cases where they do have stuff that they would prefer the government 
not to be aware of, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like intellectual property, for instance. Yeah. And, I mean, or with regards to um, TikTok and the allegations that, you know, it's state-sponsored or whatever, but foreign states don't care. They don't care about what you're doing at home, what the average citizen is doing. Obviously, they don't. There's no weight to it. There's no leverage that one can acquire from having footage of someone doing the dishes at home. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's what I was thinking, right? So you've got TikTok, right? That's apparently the biggest natural national threat to security that the world's ever seen. These 10 second videos that are always completely public gives China this crazy insight into American lives that no one's ever seen before. You know, it's, 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 it's insane, right? And then you're like, you go through the app and one's just this kid doing a handstand. The next one's a dog doing circles and you're like, oof, look at what China's got on us. <laughs> You just had to hit up early days of YouTube for that. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I know what you mean. And there's probably another layer to it that might not be public. So maybe we don't know everything. Maybe they're looking at things that they shouldn't be looking into. I mean, security vulnerabilities and devices. But you'd think if they're doing that, surely Apple would have removed them from the App Store. You'd you know? think, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's ludicrous. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say anything, but it's kind of interesting the timing of when America is trying to fight China. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything big that's going to happen sometime in the next few months in America that kind of looks um a bit detrimental to the current government, you know? I I can't really can you think of something? I don't know. Nor I, no. I'm blank. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the timing's very very interesting on this whole protectionism and nationalistic stance of blocking out China. It's and China, what? Why China? Have we, have we? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's a shocker. So there, I think there's more at play than just data there and privacy. There's, yeah. there's definitely has to be something else there. A bit politicized. So we were talking about Snowden for a while there, and there is actually a cited effect with regards to his revelations called the Snowden effect. So it's been defined as the indirect slash direct gains in public knowledge from the cascade of events and further reporting that followed Edward Snowden's leaks of classified information about the surveillance state in the US. And so a study by the IT and Innovation Foundation published in 2013 estimated that the cloud-based computing industry could have lost up to $35 billion in value by 2016 as a result of Snowden's leaks, basically. And so in China, which is the most profitable country for U.S. tech companies, all of these companies were under suspicion as witting or unwitting collaborators in the NSA's surveillance. Right. And so apparently it also prompted a bit of a um, centralizing of the Internet, basically, by the Internet, by the Brazilian government, sorry. So there was a significant departure from U.S.-based tech companies due to concerns over privacy in the aftermath of it. So there were a lot of very spanning effects, very tangible. During my time as a software engineer in the industry, I recall a lot of software engineers feeling like they had no chance at growing their companies in Australia because of these data security issues, you know, uh, that encryption law that we were talking about previously. And now apparently people 
as per this article, are worried about it in America as well. How can we trust American companies? And um, recently, I believe, well, China's already censoring almost everything, right? I'm pretty sure they already have a law like this in place. Don't quote me on that, but I would not be surprised to find out that they do. So at that point, we're kind of in the same situation, aren't we? Who do we trust? Well, okay, this country has the ability, Australia has the ability to look at encryption already, encrypted data. Apparently, allegedly, America has the ability to do that under that high-profile Snowden leak, uh, by which you dub the, like, which you call the Snowden effect, right? So at this point, like, what do you do? Do you try to find a company in the Bahamas? Uh, do, you, do you go to Ireland? Uh, do you go somewhere where the five eyes aren't? I don't know. It's like you have no way to win here. <laughs> do you? Yeah, funny you mentioned Ireland. I think I saw an article like today, the TikTok had opened office there. They're starting to invest heavily in Ireland. I wonder why. So I, I don't know how, if there's a, a wealth of countries who have already banned end-to-end -end encryption, but what comes to mind are China, Russia, and Turkey as of present. Can you think of any other ones, sorry? Or uh, I, Honestly, I feel like when Australia was doing it, uh, everyone was in hysterics because they were the one of the first major players to do it. Yeah. So I wouldn't really be able to think of too much, but I don't know. It looks like the, the removal of public privacy has become the new norm almost everywhere, right? Yeah. So the Assistance and Access Act of 2018 is apparently the first law of its kind in the world. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They set a trend. We're finally trendsetters, but I don't know if it's for the better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I know, right? <laughs> no, I know a lot of software developers personally that left Australia to go work in America because of these laws. And I know some actual people that work in America, uh, uh, well, recruiting people, who say that, well, at least initially when this first came out, that they were worried about hiring Australian developers because the government might ask them to create a backdoor in their systems. This was back when it was being discussed, but that's what the public perception was, that any Australian developer, if the government told them to, they'd have to add a backdoor in there. Uh, yeah, which is ludicrous because right is it? I think I learned it from the U.S. cases, but um, like even if they ask an individual developer, right, like one single person, they're not required, or in fact, they're encouraged not to tell the company. Exactly. So, like, what do you do? Like, I don't know if you've been a developer on a team, but a lot of the time, you've got pair programming where you guys sit together and you code together and learn from each other and then just imagine sitting down writing some code for account validation and you throw in like this variable backdoor equals send to australia and the guy's like what what are you doing there mate yeah what you got there <laughs> right like I, oh i don't know uh, oh this is just nothing you know just close your eyes look at oh soda try that soda over there <laughs> leave me alone for a few minutes <laughs> And I don't know if you, and like this, the code you actually write goes through a review process, you know? Um, it's like you actually write the code, you send it to your manager and your manager goes, okay, is it good enough to put into the main thing yet? Are we going to go through testing and prototyping? Let's debug it. Let's like, I guarantee you more than one set of eyes will go over that code if it's that big. Yeah. How can they possibly get that under the radar? Exactly. That's insane. It's like, how? It makes no sense whatsoever. That's a lot of the criticism of these bills, I think, that it's basically 
super impractical to enforce them as they are yeah and it's almost like a it's almost like a group of politicians just sat in a room together and went huh this privacy thing how do we fix that (laughs) (laughs) well i mean if once the security of these apps are compromised though like you don't need that i think that there's a a quite significant likelihood of people just migrating to another platform i don't know in order to i don't know commit nefarious acts like I can imagine a lot of nefarious acts are already being committed on things that are completely out of the government's reach. So I don't know how much it changes nefarious acts. I think, I think normal users who want privacy because they don't want the government to know what they're texting their partners, for instance, I don't think they'd go as far as to go onto these shady black networks. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they would. Maybe they would. I don't know. I know I wouldn't. One, I have nothing to hide in the first place, right? But I don't believe in the whole nothing. You have nothing to worry about. (laughs) But I I don't believe in the nothing to hide argument. I feel like um, behind the government, if people are actually looking through this data, it's people, it's human beings. Uh, It's not just a... If it was like a cognizant, like artificial intelligent being that was going through this with no possible you know like without any stakes in the matter you know like a non-human that was going through these documents and looking for things that were actually worth flagging and then flagging them and even if you get some false positives oh well that's just part of the game uh, but this idea that you have this human being looking through everything, sure, they'd probably get desensitized after going through enough data, but that's not the problem. The problem is that there is always a vulnerability when you've got a human in the room. Yeah. Okay. Well put there. I guess regarding the global state of affairs regarding data security, so from the UN Conference on Trade and Development as of 2020, 132 out of 194 countries within a worldwide study had put in place legislation that is intended to secure the protection of data and privacy. And so for a brief comparison, I guess, between what we've spoken about, which is American and Australian privacy laws to a degree, Singapore passed a privacy law in the years before 2013 that protects all personal data 10 years after a person's death. And South Korea has some of the strongest data privacy laws in Asia, even including a person's image or voice, which are strictly enforced. And the EU has apparently used its collective clout to influence change in privacy rules in other countries, primarily through trade, which has apparently influenced South American data privacy legislation significantly. Yeah, that's crazy. And it makes sense, right? You can use trade as an incentive to get countries to do many things you know and eu being the hot spot and the global i guess i forgot the economic term for this right but it's like a group of countries that are governed by the same legislation right given that there are so many independent stakeholders in there now are there many key players in the tech game from europe Uh, maybe maybe not but having that ability to use trade to your advantage uh might actually work out you know, it's it's very it's a very interesting approach. It's not tackling the problem head on, but it's going through a proxy to reel that problem in. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Definitely. So, what do you think? Do you think that? I guess to conclude it, I guess. Well, what's your stance? Do you think 
that these that there should be this overprotection is it overprotectionism do you think what extent of protectionism do you think is appropriate i i think it's a a battle that can't really be won and i guess i going back to the pandora's box analogy really like once you've opened the ability for people to use end-to-end encryption services it'll exist in some way or another because there is a use case for it to some people, obviously not to most, and most people are not concerned about being used as a bargaining chip for extortion, etc. But everyone is also fearful of the implications, well, some are fearful of the implications of having encryption backdoors, which would jeopardize their overall privacy. Um, I am against it, basically. You're against uh, you're against the idea of everything having a backdoor in it. I'm in, I'm against all the bills we discussed. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting stance. Um, How about yourself? It's great. You know, it's it's really interesting because on the one hand, you're like security, security, security. If we can keep our nation safe, if we can save lives, then surely it makes sense to be able to have some form of privacy, uh, like some privacy mitigation strategies in there, you know? Now, I guess the question is, what kind of data are we giving? Is there like a compromise we can reach here? Where maybe, maybe in certain cases, you can get metadata, but not the data itself. So call times, call logs, but maybe not the actual content of the call. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's definitely an in-between here. I don't think it has to be one extreme or the other. And I feel like that's the best place to put it. It could be. Okay. To rebut, I'll just um, quote the ex-NSA director having weighed in on the, on the debate of encryption. So he broke away from the views held by law enforcement and sided with most academics who study the subject. Um, so there's apparently a strong consensus on this among mathematicians and cybersecurity experts. Encrypting data protects everything. It raises a wall that keeps out everyone. Forcing companies to keep an extra set of keys to unlock customer data makes them a target for foreign spies and hackers as well. And Michael Hayden, the ex-director of the NSA, stated, I know encryption represents a particular challenge for the FBI, but on balance, I actually think it creates greater security for the American nation than the alternative, a backdoor. I can just win this argument on practical grounds. When was the last time you saw the success of legislation designed to prevent technological progress? It's just not going to happen. And another cybersecurity expert, Robert Malmgren, said that the ex-NSA director recognizes a simple fact that it's impossible to regulate a free and widely available software. Wow, what a quote to end on. I think that's very powerful stuff. From the ex-director of the NSA, somewhat powerful, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? That's crazy. Um, yeah. He's had a change of heart. There are two very interesting camps in this discussion, I feel like. Both of them have their merits. So it's honestly one of those ones that you could go on years about, go on for years just talking about the intricacies of both arguments. But yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. Unfortunately, I think we are moving towards a, a security over data um, a future. But we'll have to see if tech companies can bite in their corners and prevail. Absolutely. I think I fought too, too hard for one team in this one, but I do recognize that it is definitely a nuanced issue that has a degree of balance to it. Definitely. With you there, Shabazz. Definitely. But hey, you say it how it is, right? Nice one. Okay, we've touched on a 
great deal of things today. I think we can just about wrap this one up, Shabazz. Do you have any closing remarks? No, that's all. Uh, it was a really good one, this one. I feel like there's a lot to get into. 100%, and it'll pop up some other time again, I'm sure. Definitely. Anyway, I guess that's all from us. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, if you like this, uh, be sure to follow our Twitter and our Facebook. Um, and yeah, I guess until the next time. Till next time on Voltec Tech Talks. See ya. Voltec Tech Talks. See ya.